Well, it's Christmas time. <laughs> yeah, that was parents talking, I think. Yay. Let's see if by the end of the morning we can't be a little bit more excited about that, shall we? <laughs> okay, if this is us today, we're in for a long morning, and not just because my message is long. Today we kick off a new series, and I got to tell you, when we sat months ago planning out whom we would speak of and, and which text we would use, and it was proposed to look at Luke chapter 2 this morning, I was like, what do you do with a person that gets three verses in the whole Bible? And I have to confess to you, I have been so blessed <laughs> to get to spend the past couple of months considering one woman her faithfulness, and what we can learn about God's extravagant grace through the advent of the unexpected. And hence the name of our series. You've noticed that our Christmas banquet is entitled Extravagant Grace this year. Because what happens at Christmas time is a, a few things. If you have children, they're pretty one track. I love to think that our kids love Jesus, and I know they do, and they're learning about him. But when it comes to Christmas, their first thought is not Jesus, it's gifts. Let's be honest. And so as parents, we're trying to find ways to spread, spread the bank account to get them what they want, but still teach them about the true meaning of Christmas, the joyous coming of our King, and looking forward to His coming again later on. That's why you'll often hear pastor types call Advent a couple of things. There's the first Advent and the second Advent. Well, Advent's a fancy word for saying coming. If you look in your notes, you'll see that I put the Oxford English Dictionary definition there. Advent means the arrival of a notable person or thing. I can't think of anyone more notable to talk about than Jesus Christ. God became man and made his dwelling among us. But over the next four weeks, we're going to look at how that was announced, how that was proclaimed and how unexpected God used people and situations to bring glory to himself. So if you would, open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 this morning. I'm going to read about 12 verses, starting with verse 25, and go all the way down to verse 38. That's 13. My math isn't very good. But we're going to look and listen to two characters. We'll only really touch on one, Anna, this morning. But I want you to get the whole picture of what's going on here. So follow along as I read. It won't be on the screen, so you can listen to me or you can follow along. Hopefully you've got a Bible. If you'd like a Bible, there are plenty in the back. Just raise your hands and we'll gladly give one to you. And you can even keep it if you don't own a Bible. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in, he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when, his parents, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul, soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And in the twin account, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years having lived with, lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with prayer, night and worshiping with fasting and prayer, day and night, night and day. And coming up at that very hour, 
she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Lord, as we consider your words this morning, as we consider what you did and continue to do, would our attention be squarely upon you? Lord, may we live in expectant hope of what you're doing and what you have yet to do. In your name I pray, amen. Well, as we talked, I mentioned that Advent is us looking forward to the coming of a notable person. And I told you before that there's no greater person to celebrate his coming than Jesus Christ. And the advent of Christmas is all about the fact that God became man and lived with us, taking on the very nature of a human being. He didn't empty himself of all his godness, but he took on flesh. You could pinch him. You could touch him. If he woke up in the morning, he had bad breath. He was a human being. But he also, is also fully God. And when he came to earth the expectation for what a Messiah would be was slightly different than the son of a carpenter to be born into the town of David and then live in a place like Nazareth and have to flee to a place like Egypt. That wasn't what Israel expected. They wanted a guy that was going to come in, be born of great royalty with great pomp and circumstance, be ushered in to take over the kingdom from guys like Caesar Augustus. They weren't looking for a servant. They weren't looking for a man born of a poor family without an earthly father. They weren't expecting Jesus to come from such a lowly, unnotable source. But God, in his infinite wisdom, in his extravagant grace, and in the completion of his plan that had started from the beginning of time, sent his one and only son into this world. And God in his great wisdom did some amazing things. He didn't tell the story through the normal normal sources. He didn't go out and use the priests and the Sadducees of the day to proclaim that Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. You know who he used? He used shepherds. He used wise men that were astrologers from a far off land. He used Mary and Joseph themselves. He used a guy named Simeon that loved God and was waiting for the advent of the Messiah, waiting for the coming of the king. And he also used the only prophetess mentioned in the New Testament. A woman who had a rough life, as we'll see later on. And throughout the next three weeks, four weeks of Advent that are coming, we're going to look at a few women that God used to surprise his people in this world and how he was at work and the miraculous things God can do with a people surrendered for him and for his glory. Because if you think about it and you look at the line of Jesus, we come across a few names, names like Tamar. What? We'll talk about her in two weeks. Names like Ruth, seemingly insignificant in the line, yet God had a plan through a redeemer, (laughs) foreshadowing at its best. We look at a person like Elizabeth, who was too old to have a kid, and yet her son prepared the way for Jesus Christ. We look at a woman like Bathsheba, an adulteress, the wife of a murderer, and yet it was through her line. And in all these ways, God keeps saying, I will do the unexpected. Do you follow me and are you looking for me? Are you doing it in your own strength? 
You see, as we go through Advent season this year, I want us to look for the unexpected. I want us to say, God is that prayer of Jabez, which I wasn't a big fan of, but I like the one line in it that says, expand our boundaries because our God is so much bigger than our small brains. And we ask so little of him. We expect so little of him. And I'm going to tell you about how I was convicted of that this week. But the first thing we realized this Advent season was the message was one that was unexpected at that day and time. You see, if you look at Luke 1, verses 32 and 33, this is what the scriptures tell us. It said that the Messiah will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. He was born in the city of David. He was of the right line. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That sounds so royal. And it sounds so exciting. And it sounds so grand. But the one they were saying about was born illegitimate in the eyes of humanity. Joseph was going to divorce Mary quietly so as not to cause controversy. But in an unexpected way, God says, I've got this. I've got a plan. And my son is going to change the world. But the thing is, even today, we think that, well, that's what God did back then. God doesn't work in those miraculous ways anymore. You know, God just tells us to obey his word and kind of go through the motions waiting for eternity. We might not say that out loud, but if we're honest with ourselves, as we talked about last week, we're not always thinking with eternity in view by living for the kingdom now. We're more focused on our own agendas. Here's the thing. God is at work today, just as he was 2,000 years ago. And I wondered, well, how do I illustrate that? How do I explain? I mean, you get tired of all my stories and and I'm your pastor, so you're going to hear a lot more of them. But I also realized that I had two men in the congregation with me today. I respect all of the men in our church, but there are two special men here with us today that have made a tremendous impact on my life. And I wondered, so I called him yesterday. I said, can I ask you guys some questions this morning? But they're not just men, You see, both of these men have been long-standing pastors. They know what it's like to lead the flock of God's people toward his glory. They know what it's like to struggle through that. They know what it's like to have challenges with their own children, like me. They, They know what it's like to press on taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. Next week, you're going to hear a bit more from Reverend Kelvin Gardner. So I'm going to have him come on up this morning. But this morning, you also get to hear from Kelvin and this guy I know. I call him Dad. Uh, You call him Reverend Rick Rose. But I asked those two men if they wouldn't mind coming up and let me ask them a couple of questions about this idea of God working in unexpected ways. Come on up, gentlemen. I'll uh, get rid of that for you. Go for it. I'm done. Oops. We already broke a mic. And not me. So just to give you a little feedback uh, on who these guys are, uh, Reverend Gardner uh, was a a long-time pastor in New Zealand. He was also a radio broadcaster there as well, sharing God's word through the radio waves. Then he moved to the States, was a pastor of North Seattle Alliance Church. Uh, Some of you remember Pastor Mark Price. Before Mark was there, uh, Reverend Gardner was there, and then he went on to be the pastor to pastors. Uh, And so he was what's called a district superintendent. So he did that for eight years. Then as that happened, they realized there was a great need to provide pastoral care and love and support and shepherding to missionaries. And so what they do now, why we get to see them so often is they travel in and out of Hong Kong and China to work with the CMA and some other organizations to care for those that we have in country. Is that a pretty fair... (laughs) <laughs> and, and the best part is he does the heavy lifting of the luggage, but his wife does the hard work. And so Jill is with us as well this morning, and you'll meet her throughout. Uh, 
My dad has been a pastor for over 30 years. Uh, he has a lot, of, a lot of loss of hair because of me. I'm his son. Uh, but more than that, uh, he's a man that I've seen just every Sunday, Sunday I listen to his preaching growing up. He preaches and teaches the word. He seeks to live by the word in every area of his life with consistency, with integrity. He did that so much that not only did he do it, but he was chosen to be one of the gatekeepers for the Christian and Missionary Alliance that then when new pastors come in and have to get ordained, which is a word among pastors that you just groan at, because it's a hard process. My dad would work them and shepherd them through that process. These are men that have wisdom, that have love for God's people, and that love to serve the God of extravagant grace. I know that about them. They don't have to tell you. I'll tell you. But this morning I asked them, could I ask you one question? And then I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to guide what they'll say. But I asked each of them, how have you seen over the years in ministry, whatever you want to share, God work in unexpected ways in your own lives, in your ministry, whatever you feel. So could you guys share a little bit about that? I'll, uh, I'll let my dad go first. <laughs> this is fun. I, I just want to share a little bit of our story, and I think by sharing our story, you'll come to appreciate where we are right now in our lives. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I found Christ as my Savior, actually serving in the military in Germany, of all places. A black Baptist preacher traveled over to our area and shared Christ with me in a way that I had never heard before. I was raised in a church, uh, but never knew a personal relationship for Christ. So that was the first unexpected visitation of Jesus into my life. I knew the name, I knew the person, I knew the theology, but I didn't know anything about a personal relationship with Jesus. So on that uh, particular day in Germany, uh, I received Christ as Savior, and a young married man, my wife was with me, and uh, she was already saved, and uh, we began our walk with Christ at that point as a young couple. Uh, During that time in Germany, we we became pregnant, as they say now. I don't quite understand that. She became pregnant, but we talk about we become pregnant this day and age. Uh, But she became pregnant. We went home uh, expecting our first child. Uh, the next unexpected visitation of Christ was about uh, eight years later uh, where the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was working in my life. I was an accountant uh, in upper middle management for Rockwell International. I was in charge of cost accounting for our particular division. And uh, the Lord began to speak to me about the possibility of serving in full-time ministry, which I had not really considered. Uh, my wife had uh, had kind of uh, leanings this way a couple of years before. She never told me about that. And Our church leadership kind of sensed that as well. I didn't sense that until the Lord very specifically spoke. And so we began by going back to Bible college and getting more education along that way. Fast forwarding now, we're 30 plus years, almost 35 years uh, from that moment. Uh, And the Lord just about two years ago began to speak to us again in a very unexpected way. As Mike shared with you, your pastor, uh, I have been preaching for 31 years and I love to preach. But about two years ago on a uh, Saturday night, I'll never forget this probably as long as I live, unless I get Alzheimer's and then other things will happen as we talked about in our class. But um, the Lord began to speak to me about the possibility of changing roles. And I just uh, woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning with this um, idea, this prompting, this unexpected uh, visitation of Christ. And uh, about 4 o'clock, I couldn't sleep anymore, so I got up and I went into my office, into the study at church, and I began writing down thoughts. And about 7 o'clock, when I uh, believed my wife would be up, I called her and I said, this is what the Lord has been laying on my heart. And as we have always done, I began, first of all, by affirming uh, that I wasn't just hearing from God and nobody else talked to me about this. I wanted to make sure I was really hearing from God and not just ideas. So I ran up by Berlin, my wife, and I said, you know, this seems to be what God is saying to me. He kind of wants us to stay here as we move into retirement. Uh, But the way we're going to do this is I'm going to take a different role. I'm going to become an associate pastor of pastoral care, more or less. And we're going to bring somebody else to do the primary leadership. I'm not going to have to lead the church per se. I'm not going to be doing the primary role of preaching and teaching any longer. And this was kind of a surprise to me because this is what God had called me to do. Uh, Once I talked to my wife and she affirmed this, I felt very strongly that we needed to share this a little bit more with the elders and find out if we were really uh, sensing God's will. And so I called a meeting of the elders that afternoon and I shared this idea with them. There was a little reluctance because I'd been there at that point about 13 years. And, um, 
They weren't sure about this at first, but uh, as we prayed about it and sensed it, uh, they also agreed that this was the direction God wanted us to go. The next step was to call our district superintendent, which would have been uh, something that you understand a lot about. and You appreciate that the pastors call you, right? They don't always do that. Uh, but I called our district superintendent. I said, Jeff, uh, what does this sound like to you? Because this is an unusual paradigm. This is not usually the way it works. Normally the way it works is one pastor will leave and then you get another pastor. And then you have a time of transition and so on and so forth. So for the senior pastor to reverse roles and to stay in a congregation, a little bit different. So I wanted his wisdom. I also contacted a director at, uh, at our national office uh, who I knew, and I just ran the idea by him. And they began to sense that this was a good uh, fit for us at Dover. And uh, we said, okay, well, the next step then is to take it to the congregation, a congregation probably about the size of uh, this church, and get their ideas and their thoughts. And everybody was on board. Uh, so we started to plan, and uh, we prayed, and we sought, and we uh, prayed, and we sought, and we prayed, and we sought. And about a year later, we called a man. Uh, to come alongside. Now, it's interesting how this uh, all uh, shapes down. This guy was actually a guy who had left our church about seven years old, uh, seven years earlier. Uh, he had become one of our elders as a young man and moved away because of work. Uh, about two years after he moved away, he sensed God's calling upon his life to become a pastor. Uh, he began in ministry. Well, I had taken him through a biblical eldership, a program to train elders, uh, I now became his sponsor through what's called the MSP program. I was also his sponsor in the ordination process, so I'd been working with him for about seven years. And now all of a sudden his name rises to the surface as one to be called as our senior pastor. And so for the last year I've been working with him. So December 28th, my 66th birthday, I will preach the last message as senior pastor in that church, and I will reverse roles and become uh, a pastor. These things I share with you because I think it's important for us, regardless of what age bracket we find ourselves in, to be open to hear the voice of God is very exciting. When we first did that, this young man, who's now your senior pastor, was just a little over a year old when we went back to, uh, when we went back to school. And to leave a, uh, uh, a very secure job, which I had, we since know that no jobs are really secure, but at that time we thought they were, to pack up everything in a U-Haul and to move away from home uh, was interesting. But we look back and we say, what might it have been like had we not followed the Lord's will? And I'm sure um, things would have been a lot different and not really uh, as exciting or as beneficial to you here because what would that have meant to him? I don't know for sure, uh, but I do know this. When you hear the prompting of God, the unexpected visitation of God, if you say yes, you will never, ever regret that decision. Amen. I want to... I want to pause before I ask Kelvin to share his thoughts as well. If you listen closely to what Reverend Rose, dad, uh, uh, had to say, did you notice that his vocation did not determine his identity? God does. You know, personally, it's hard for me to think of going back to Dover where he's been for a good chunk of my life and not seeing him preach, but I can't wait because I know he's in the will of God. And much more than I long for my dad to be preaching, I long for him to be joyously in the middle of God's plan for his life and for his people. And I long for the same for all of us, that we would, as we keep talking about, and I'm going to keep harping on, give God a blank check with our lives and say, take my life and let it be holy and pleasing, Lord, to you. So I'm going to turn it over to Kelvin, Reverend Gardner. I uh, thank you. I, I appreciate the introduction, but he leaves out some vital points. And one of them is that I'm a stubborn man, and uh, I've been a person that's like to control his own life. And God has taught me uh, that he takes care of the details even when I resist. It was um, one morning my wife said to me, I don't like that cough that you have. I think you should see the doctor. And I said, no, I don't think so. It's hard to get an, uh, an early appointment with our doctor, and uh, I feel good. I really feel good. And uh, so I didn't. Later that morning, I went down to the post office to collect the mail. There was a line waiting, so I joined the line, and then I realized that uh, the person in front of me was my doctor. And uh, he turned, and he said, uh, we talked for a little bit. He knew that I traveled. And he said, have you been anywhere exciting? And uh, then he said, how's your health? 
And so I told him the conversation we'd had, and he looked at me and he said, what are you doing now? Come with me. Let's go back, and I'll give you a check. So he checked and found uh, nothing untoward, but said, I look at your record, and we've not done some extensive testing for some time. I'm sending you, not a, I want to, I am sending you to the doctor at the hospital tomorrow to do some tests. Tomorrow I go, and uh, they do some tests and say, wait for someone to come and talk. He came in. He said, my name is Stephen, uh, and I've come to talk to you. I noticed that you, you are a pastor. And uh, I work with Campus Crusade in my spare time. I do mission work every summer in, in uh, Russia, and uh, I love it that you go to China. Um, but I'm a cardiologist, and you have a problem. Uh, and he said, let me introduce you to my friend. And uh, in came Chuck. I think he was carrying a chainsaw, it seemed, because uh, he said, I'm the surgeon, and I will operate on you tomorrow because you're in a bad way. And then he said, there's one more of us. He said, by the way, I, I also uh, I see you're a preacher. And uh, I go to Africa in my spare time and share Christ's love. And then he, the third man came in, and he was Chinese. Younger man, and he said, I'm James. My English name is James. I'm the anaesthetist, whatever that word is. And he said, um, whereabouts in China do you go? I told him one or two places. And he said, well, I'm from Beijing. And Beijing is special to me for three reasons. First one, I was born in Beijing. Second was that I learned all my medical skills in Beijing. And thirdly, I met Jesus Christ in Beijing. And uh, us three will pray for you, and then tomorrow morning we'll see you at 6 o'clock. And uh, I came, and then they came later on and told me uh, these very words. God has been gracious to you. Uh, it was a quadruple bypass. Three of those arteries were 90% blocked. The other one was 70% blocked. And uh, the first doctor, the cardiologist, said there would have been a serious cardiac event within weeks. And so God has given you new life. And when I left the hospital, they came to me and said, now don't you go sitting in a chair. God has something for you to do, and you're to use those days for his glory. That was 10 years ago coming up in two weeks. So God took care of this stubbornness. God took care of this resistance. So now every day I get up and I firstly thank God uh, for giving me his grace in that way, and I determined every day to say yes to my wife. Melissa didn't hear that last part. Uh, Melissa knows this, yes. Work on him, Melissa. You'll get him. <laughs> Gentlemen, I didn't warn you for this, but I'm listening and you're pastors, so you can talk a lot. Uh, <laughs> let's be honest about it. How, how would you invite us to pray and discern God leading? Uh, you know, I'm not asking for the full, full theological treatise, but you've both heard... I mean, you saw God by putting significant people in your life at just the right time for just a thing, for just such a time as this. Uh, Dad, you time and again have shown that when God speaks, you'll move. How do you discern, do you think, that it's uh, of him? Actually, it's, it's not really secret, and, and Mike knows my philosophy of ministry, and it wasn't really mine. Uh, years ago, when I was still in the Morgantown, West Virginia church as a layman, I was an elder, and a young elder. I was still in my late 20s at that point. Uh, we had a man visit us by the name of Stanley Tam, and Stanley came. He was a layman out in Lima, Ohio, which is out over in the western part towards Indiana. And he had a large business, and uh, he was doing very, very well. And uh, God worked in his life, and so we invited him to speak to our men. And as I had an opportunity to talk with him uh, multiple times throughout the weekend, he shared with me, because I asked him that specific question, how, how is it that you really assess God's will? And he said, for me, this is what I've done. I don't know whether it will work for you or if you're even interested. But he said, when I sense an open door in my life, something that is not contrary to God's word, in other words, if it's a sinful behavior, you don't charge that, I'm going to leave my wife and go marry somebody else. We all know that that would not be God's will, period. Uh, but if there's something that really uh, a door opens and I sense that it's, uh, it's what God wants me to do, I charge. And as I'm charging toward that open door, I pray. God, if you don't want me to go through this door, you shut the door. Now, the beauty of this philosophy, I think, is it puts all of the onus on God. 
God is the one directing. He knows my heart better than I know my heart. And Stanley said, it's always worked for me. And he was in his 50s at that point. He's still alive in his 90s now out in Lima, Ohio, still living this way. So I adopted that as my own. I have it written in probably all of my Bibles, and I still live that way. When I sense that God is directing in my life with no questions asked, I say yes. And I ask God, God, if you don't want me going this way, if I'm misinterpreting this, then you shut the door. That's why I started by going to my wife and then to my elders, to my district superintendent. I would jump through all the hoops, and I give God all the opportunity to shut the doors. But I never say no to God. And I think that's the most exciting life that you can possibly live. And what I've seen throughout my years of ministry, and even before I was a pastor, so many people put ifs and buts on God. And they say, if this works out, and we see it in biblical characters as well, if this happens, then I'll do it. That's not what God wants. God wants us right now, every one of us, 100% of us, to say, God, as the Apostle Paul said, I am dead to myself. I count everything but loss so that I might follow Jesus. So I think that's a very simple thing for 100% of us to do. Just open our hearts to God and say, God, direct my life. And if you don't want me to go there, you shut the door. It worked every time for me. I'm not sure if you adopted it or not, but, but it works. I'm in Hong Kong. Yeah, that's true. I'll leave that. I endorse that 100%. Uh, fix your eyes on Jesus. Always say yes to God. And uh, the difficulty that I've had is in running towards uh, a door and it doesn't open uh, at the time I wanted to or he doesn't provide at the time I want to. I tend to want to do it in my own strength. And he says, don't do that. Wait. And uh, I've learned and I've written in my Bible, I may be surprised at what happens today, but God is not surprised. I may not have the resources to deal with what happens today, but God does. And he knows when to apply them and in what way to apply them to my life. And I can say now, looking back, that he's, he's done the detail. He had the doctor in line just when he was needed. And I don't need to try and manipulate anything, but just to follow him. And he'll shut the door or he'll open the door. And uh, all I need to do is say yes and head towards him. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Dad. I have good news. You've already heard the greatest news of all. Giving our lives to Jesus Christ changes everything, and it's the best possible way to live. I say that unequivocally with no reservations. Uh, I have followed my dad's advice. It's biblical advice, so it's not really his Uh, But if God opens a door, we've sought as a family, uh, though we're still quite young, to go where the Lord's led us. And that put us in Hong Kong when personally I didn't want to come. I was very happy in Minnesota where there was snow. Now I think this is cold. Things change. But we're not here to talk about Mike. We're here to see what God's word has for us as a people of God today. You see, on Thursday, I had to make a pastoral decision that I wasn't excited about. I came into the office knowing it was coming, um, but I'd looked at some things. Years ago, the Alliance International Church Christmas Banquet was instituted in such a way that it was meant to be a celebration of God at work in life and a chance for us to bring our friends to hear the good news of Jesus Christ for the first time or the millionth time. It was meant to be an outreach. But over time, and I have been complicit in this, and I stand here to tell you that, we've made it more about us. We enjoy getting dressed up. We enjoy getting our friends together and sitting and catching up and having a good meal and doing all that. We enjoy watching Mark Glidden and Pastor Mike put up the canopy every year uh, and do those things. But over time, the Christmas banquet had become very much about us. And fellowship is great, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't at the heart of what that event was to be. And over time, we lost excitement for it. So we decided almost a year ago to try something new. The first thing we came up with was this theme, that extravagant grace, we're going to celebrate the extravagance of God at work through his son coming to earth as a man. And in so doing, we felt this would be a great time because we've been filling up this hall. It's so tight in there. It's uncomfortable. What if we went to an offsite location? If we could do the math, the numbers worked out. So we said, we're going to go a whole block away. 
and we're going to have a Christmas banquet at an off-site location where the kids can use this room and the adults can have a wonderful time together. It was going to be great. The numbers crunched. People checked them. We were all in line and things were moving forward. And then as we began to tell you guys about it, something happened. You didn't invite your friends. You didn't invite yourselves. And you showed by ticket sales, which is all I can go off of as I'm making decisions, you weren't really excited about it, whether it was the fact that I changed our location or, uh, you know, whatever the factor was. But the reality was we were 10 days out. And if I didn't make a decision that I thought was the right one, and I did pray about it, and the staff prayed about it with me, and the elders as well knew that something was coming. But 50 tickets does not help us to break even when we need to put a whole lot more people in that room. And so I put my hat on. I put the guy that's supposed to guard the budget of this church as best I can. And you already know we're under budget this year. And I felt the only rational thing I could do was to cancel the Christmas banquet. I have it written out. You could read the letter that I was prepared to write to you or read to you today that due to this, we're going to have to rethink, but the Christmas banquet is canceled. I want to read to you a word. When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. I had the absolute worst Thursday I can remember. I decided to cancel the banquet. I thought it was the right thing. My kids were a disaster, (laughs) of course, because you need them to behave. You're having a rough day. A couple other things were going on. Things were blowing up. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from one of our previous elders. And he was the one that I thought had my back, saying, let's cancel it. Because <laughs> I thought we were in agreement, and, and we thought we were going the right way. And he said, Mike, I've been thinking about that passage of the great feast. He said, "If what if we did it differently? What if all those unsold tickets went to people that wouldn't normally come to AIC? What if we threw the doors wide open? And said, come on in, you who need to hear the love of Jesus Christ. And that person said, you know what? I bet you we can find people to sponsor tables and to bring them. (laughs) And I thought, oh God, you are so good. And God, I'm sorry that I am so stubborn. That I never thought that you could be bigger than my plan. Because according to the ways of the world, I was making the right decision. But I stand here today to tell you we are not canceling the Christmas banquet. We have instead said that we are going to put up posters. They go up first thing tomorrow morning and they don't normally happen. But Wampo Gardens gave us permission to put a poster in every one of the 30 plus buildings in this vicinity. To say, come, all you got to do is give us a call and ask for your ticket. It's free. It's on us. We love you. You've been through the gospel in life with us. You know we are to care for the community he's placed us in. So we're going to open it up to the community and say, come hang out with us. Listen to professional musicians. Listen to Calvin share from God's word. Have a great night of wonderful food together with people that hopefully become new friends. So today, instead of telling you we've canceled the banquet... I stand before you and say, we've got a new opportunity. I want you to come to the banquet. Don't misunderstand me. The room we've reserved has plenty of room. That's not the problem. But I want you to bring other people. I want us to get back to the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the unexpected greatness of the Advent season. Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. And I look around Wampo and there's a lot of lost people that need somebody to say, hey, you want to come have dinner with us? But we're still a church and that's still an expense. So maybe you're too busy to come to the banquet, but you could sponsor a few seats. Do it. 
Maybe you could sit at a table where you tell Auntie Dory that you're going to sit there and let her put strangers with you just so you can love them and let them know Jesus loves them. And yeah, maybe that's uncomfortable for you, but you're willing to give it a shot because that's God at work through you. And who knows, he might do something unexpected. I was too stubborn to realize God was at work by giving us a new opportunity to love the community we find ourselves in. But God used our elders of the church. That's why we lead as a team. It's not just Mike. It's the Holy Spirit guiding the men that are elders, our governing committee that came alongside and said, yeah. And I stand before you and say, God is at work. And I'm sorry it took me a while, but I was a little slow in realizing it. But today, after church, would you do me a favor? Would you commit to coming to the banquet and bringing some friends with you? Would you commit to inviting the lost? If cost is a problem, man up and talk to us. We would love to find the funds for you to do it. It's all God's money anyway. I'm not too worried about that. God convicted me very much of that. You see, an unexpected opportunity is before us. If you live in Wampo, tell people there's a free banquet. Who doesn't love free food? And let them come. Let them see God at work through you and be willing to welcome them just as God welcomed you into his family. Wouldn't it be amazing if we filled up that room and we saw God work in mighty ways because we got out of his way and we said, here's my life, here's my money, go use it for your glory. Real briefly, I want to tell you about a lady named Anna that I believe did just that. You see, Anna, as most would at that age and that time, was probably 14 when she got married. That's very weird to me. And as a father of an almost 10-year-old, no. Not till she's 40. But in the grand scheme of things, in that day and age, you got married at roughly 14. Seven years later, Anna's husband died. So she was married for seven years. That's it. Interestingly, the rest of her life... now. theologians and and commentary writers and historians differ a bit. They say, grammatically speaking, if you go back to the original text, it means she lived 84 years after the death of her husband. Others argue that she was 84 years old total when this happened. So she was between 84 and 105 years old. Here's what I know about that. She was old. Okay? And from the time she was roughly 21... Look at what she did with her life. She had an unexpected life and she became an unexpected messenger, a prophetess for God because she didn't depart from the temple. She didn't sleep there. That wouldn't have been appropriate. But when it was appropriate for her to be there, she was there. And what was she doing? She was worshiping God with fasting and prayer, night and day. When the doors were open, she was there. We have faithful people in our church that are like that. When the doors are open, they're here. When there's service opportunities, they're there. But see, the thing is about Anna, just as with my dad and with Kelvin, when things go sideways, they could have said, that's it, I give up, I'm done. Anna could have let the fact that she was a widower define her life. Reverend Gardner could have let a heart condition define his life. He's going to tell us about another situation next week that could have defined his life. My dad could have let being an accountant define where they went because it was stable. But in all of these cases, these people ran, didn't just walk, they ran toward the Lord. And amazing things happened. The only female prophet in the New Testament is Anna. And what did she get to prophesy about? The coming of the king. What do I know about her life? Well, I know that apparently she didn't wallow in self-pity because God's word, Luke, a precise man when it came to writing, told us in the first for four, there was a prophetess. She was a daughter. She was Jewish in full heritage, advanced in years, having lived with her husband. And then you go on. She didn't depart from the temple. She was there. She was pious is the word they would use. But you go on 
And if you look at another verse, it would help us understand who this widow was. Because if you flip in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 5, Paul is giving wise counsel to church leaders, to this guy, Timothy. He's a young pastor. Maybe he was my age, trying to lead the flock faithfully. And Paul was writing him, telling them that you will have widows among you and watch out for this, this, and this. But this is what you're looking for. And listen to what Timothy says about widowers. And I believe he would have been thinking of somebody like Anna. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications. When? Night and day. Anna's life could have been marked by disappointment. But instead, as you look at the text right there, it was marked by devotion to her king. It was an unexpected life. Her voice was an unexpected voice. Nobody expected a widow messenger to be the one to proclaim that Jesus is here. But God used Anna. Now, some of us have the audacity to tell God he can't use us. He can use an accountant. He can use a man needing a quadruple bypass. He can use another man in our church that you've heard his story needing significant heart surgery. He can use us in our moments of weakness and brokenness to bring glory to his name. If we would but say yes. I am so thankful and I, please don't misunderstand me, But I am so thankful that a year ago, Reverend Gardner got pushed down in the KCR station and broke his shoulder because I got to spend time with him and see and learn and listen and love. And God used him at a time in my life when Melissa and I needed help. And Kelvin and Jill were there to walk with us because Kelvin said yes to the Lord. I am so thankful my mom and dad said following God is more important than anything else because I knew that when it was time to move our family and take our only grandkid, not our grandkid, their grandkid, across the world, I knew they knew we were right where the Lord wanted us. Some of you may face similar decisions. Some of you may wonder about this Christmas banquet. I don't have a lot of money, but maybe it should go to help bring the good news of Jesus Christ to Wampo. Wouldn't it be better to follow where God's leading? Wouldn't it be better to say, here I am, Nothing is greater than knowing Jesus has come and he's coming again. As you see in that last blank, we're going to skip those conclusions. If you need the blanks filled in, here you go. You ready? God cares for the outsider. Notice what Jesus taught. Go get the people that aren't good enough to come. I expect our banquet to be full of people we don't expect. Go get them. Why? Because it's God's will. His word teaches us that. Second, God is with us. As you saw in Reverend Gardner's story, as you see in the life of Anna, as you see time and again through scripture, he's with us even in our most painful of times. He invites us to go to him for comfort, to go to him for help, to go to him for healing. He doesn't say figure it out on your own. That's what we do ourselves and it never works. Just as it wouldn't have worked if Kelvin had put off going to the doctor. We need help. But the other thing is, God's ready for us. You don't sense any bitterness in Anna. We don't see a lot of her in that text. But you don't sense, because Luke included her in a twin account with Simeon, a man of great piety, of great love for the Lord. Luke traditionally did this. He put these pairs together. And so we see that Anna must have been an awful lot like that. And that she was a woman that kept going to the temple and letting God guide her life. He was ready for her. He could handle her pain. He could handle her doubts. He could handle her loss. Do we let him handle ours? And say, here I am, use me, God. Or do we tell him, God, you're not good enough. You're not big enough. You can't understand what I'm going through. He understood Anna. Two-thirds of her life did not go the way she expected. And then finally, 
God's plan is already in motion. He doesn't tell us to go reinvent the wheel. He said it's already working. He says he's at work. Will we go with him where he's taking us? I want to read to you a quote that I came across last night as we finish. John Piper, a guy that I have a lot of respect for, is talking about how we as followers of Jesus today often look for the new thing, but the most unexpected thing is what's right in front of us. He said, what you and I need, and this is in the beginning of his Advent devotional that I've started going through. He says, what you and I need is usually not a brand new teaching. Brand new truths are probably not truths. What we need is reminders about the greatness of old truths. When Hannah and Simeon got to proclaim that the Messiah was there, they quoted scripture, old truths. When we hear from one another, do we say, what does God's word teach us and how will we get there? Why am I so excited about the Christmas banquet when two days ago I was ready to cancel the thing? Because God's word has given me hope. And I know he's got a plan and I'm just trying to get out of the way. What about you? Jesus is coming back. And until he does, is your life his? Are you ready for the unexpected? Knowing that you get the great chance to actively expect his return by telling everyone you know about the love of Jesus. That he came down, took on flesh, became a servant and lived as an example of how we could live, gave his life and rose again victoriously so that all who would call on his name could know him and be known by the Father. Will you partner with me? Will you partner with our governing committee? Will you partner with our elders, our under shepherds and say, we're going to go get them. We believe in reaching lost people. And we love them more than our comfort. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the testimonies of Pastor Rick and Pastor Kelvin this morning. But more than that, I thank you for your word that leads us to yourself. Would you find us faithful with that which you've given us? Would we be ready for the unexpected? Ready to go wherever it is you would leave us. You would lead us. In your name I pray. Amen. Please stand with us once again.